Thank you for the liturgy. You know, singing liturgy is no easy task in Hebrew, right? Our women do such a great job. Give them a round of applause. Wow. It's one of the most meaningful times of the service for me to hear the liturgy being sung. Just, just beautiful. Hallelujah. All right. So real quick, Purim's coming. So I know the holidays are somewhat complicated. A lot of issues surrounding those. A lot of questions all the time. Uh, keep in mind, Purim is not a commanded holy day. Okay, it's a biblical holy day, but it's not commanded. Um, and, and so this is not one that we find in the list that Moses gave us, but uh, we do encourage our, our community, we're grafted into Israel, to uh, have fun, celebrate, learn about the day, read the book of uh, Esther. It's what the story's all about. And, uh, and celebrate that in your homes and in different ways. Make that a big deal. Have a lot of fun. Um, it's always fun to have like uh, costume parties during that time, at least for me. All right, so... Uh, and then also keep in mind that Shushan Purim comes, I think, two days after that or extends for two days. So you do have about uh, three or four days to really kind of have some parties or whatever. So I want to encourage you with that. Great. I am in part two of my series on marriage and the family. God created human beings in his image. They are binary, male and female. They are fully equal in worth, and dignity, and status, but uniquely different physically and psychologically. In addition, they have equally important but different roles in marriage. So today we're going to look at some of those differences between the binary genders in the context of biblical marriage. In this teaching today, we're going to focus on men as husbands. And women, we don't want to hear too many hallelujahs because your turn is next week. <laughs> so let me give you a disclaimer. My perspectives are solid. My perspectives are good, but they are not perfect. They are not perfect. They're just my perspectives. But my perspective is the result of 40 plus years of biblical studies and reflection and 42 years of successful marriage to the same beautiful woman. And she has taught me a lot. 40 years in the child raising arena. And it is an arena. So I think I have something to say and contribute to this super important area of life from a Torah perspective. So I want to make some clarifications to last week's teachings based on feedback. Whenever I get into these particular areas, I get a lot of feedback. It's kind of a love-hate thing. I loved it, but I hated it. Or some people love it, some people hate it. It's kind of like a blessed offense. I was offended, but it was blessed, you know, whatever. So anyway... It's my perspective. You go to the Word of God. You kind of figure that out. But as a religious leader, I'm trying to give you what the Lord has shown me. So uh, take that for what it is. So I talked about education and got a lot of feedback on that issue of education. So I want to clarify this. Uh, I really believe in raising up our kids and making sure they get a solid education, both boys and girls. 
What do I mean by education? Well, K through 12. You know, get, get them a good, uh, solid K through 12 uh, education. And that would include either public school, private school, homeschool, or hybrids of those. Okay, a lot of different options here. And then after that, I encourage higher ed today. Okay, it's the world we live in. So help steer your kids based on their passions and what they're good at and what they want to do. Steer them to a good college for a good education or a good trade school for a good education. But help them get a little bit more than that, what used to work, right? A high school education. You know, you just got to have more nowadays. And so I, I, I encourage you to do that. A lot of different ways to approach that. I encourage you to do that. And then also... Um, We'll I'll get down to that later, but that, that's one of the clarifications I wanted to make. So let's start in my series today. Men and women are equal, but different. They are equal in status before God. Gender is not a spectrum. It is binary. God made it very, very clear that he made man in his image. In his image, he made him male and female. Now this you know, these two genders, if you will, keep in mind that even though they're different, they're equal in status. They both have fully the status of the image of God. They're equal in that. They're also equal errors in the grace and salvation of God. They have equal standing before God. They're equal in dignity and worth. In marriage, men and women have different but equally important roles and functions. Men are called to certain roles. Women are called to other roles. Those roles are equally important, but they are different. Due to sin, these roles and functions get altered and even transmogrified. In Messiah... The roles are redeemed and reestablished. And those couples who embrace and employ them will be blessed and find meaning and joy in their marriages. So let's take a closer look at the biblical role assignments given to us by the Creator. Men, men. Let's begin there. Men are called to serve as leaders protectors and providers in marriage now now i i I just want to say i just want to say as we come down through this i know there's going to be some pretty passionate differences uh you know with maybe some of these views it's because of the culture we live in it's because of what we see and hear on on all of our media it's what our kids are being taught in the schools and so there's, there's going to be, there's going to be some bumps along this journey of discovering what these biblical role assignments are. And that's okay. I just want to present them and us to wrestle with them and to shore up what God has called us to do and to be, because it's pretty, pretty counterculture right now, more than ever before in our whole history as a nation, the war is on. It's, it's certainly a cultural war it's turning into a religious war, by the way, right? So, let's just listen, listen, listen. I'm not asking for anyone to agree. Just listen and dialogue, okay? Hallelujah. All right. 
Men are called to serve as leaders, protectors, and providers in marriage. Eve was made for Adam to help and assist him in the tasks given to him by God. Genesis 2, verse 18. Then the Lord God said, It's not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. God says, I'm going to make you a helper. Adam, I'm going to make someone for you. Adam was not made for Eve. Eve was made for Adam. This implies that Adam was to lead. Adam was to protect. And Adam was to provide for her, not vice versa. Paul makes this clear in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, in verse 7, when he states, The woman is the glory of man. For man does not originate from woman, but woman from man. For indeed, man was not created for the woman's sake, but the woman for the man's sake. Let me soften that up. We need lots of help. Does that work better? We need, lot, we need help. God knew that. So he made an equal for us that would correspond and help us in our weaknesses. Now again, this implies that Adam needed a helper, someone to be his equal and his companion. I knew at a fairly young age that I wanted to find a woman that I could love, marry, and build a life together with. I knew that early on, pretty focused on that early in my life. I also knew, and was part of my motivation, I also knew I needed lots of help in life. Okay, so that was part of my motivation. Needed help in, in life. But I also knew that I had something to offer in return. I went to work when I was 15 years old. God gave me a great union job. Love union jobs. Arlo Guthrie, you can't fire me. I'm in the union. I'm in the union. I had a great union job with a solid wage package, including health care, a pension, and, a, and opportunities to climb the corporate ladder. It was a huge company. A couple years later, when I started dating Dawn at approximately 18 years old, I knew she was the one. Intuitively, knowing this, I got her a job with the company. I was thinking, had my thinking cap on, years ahead of her. She didn't even know what was going on. I already had it planned out, right? Got her a job with the same company I was working with. You know, back in the day, you know, if you knew the right people, you could go and get applications and move them from the bottom to the top. Now, that's not right today, and I was young and naive, and I did it, God forgive me, but I had her application move from a pile to the top. She applied and had a job within a week. So, we had two paychecks early on. We had great opportunities ahead of us. Back in those days, you know, you didn't have to contribute to your, your health care. The company paid all of it. We had overlapping benefits. Yeah, so when we got married, we had overlapping benefits. I didn't have to pay a deductible from health care, 
and I didn't have to pay co-pays, neither did she. Our, our, our coverages merged and overlapped. We were so blessed at such a young age, just starting out, we just had so much favor. And part of that was the time that we were living in. You know, those times changed. We're in very difficult times right now. You know, it's, it, it, you know today it's not easy. It's much more difficult. But I'll get down to that in just a moment because God is not bound by any of that, right? Okay. So, I'm going to talk more about this whole women working next week. But I had her working early on. Equality, it's a beautiful thing. Until she had children, yeah. And we're going to talk about that whole thing of, of women working outside the home, uh, when they should work outside the home, how much they should work outside the home. We're going to talk about all those priorities as well. I think you'll enjoy that after you get over your offense. Okay. So, so Adam, or husbands, let's cast that in the context of husbands. Husbands are called to lead their wives. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. Paul says this, I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. Now, a lot of ink has been spilled over this passage in terms of exegetical studies. They're, they just like endless, a lot of debate over this, a lot of consternation over this. I'm not going to get down in the weeds. I'd love to. It could be a series. And I think the weight of evidence is way, way, way in this camp that I'm presenting. So just, you know, if you want to look at the studies, I can get you more studies than you could ever imagine. The word for head here implies, actually, it more than implies. It's pretty well established that it's referring to authority, authority over someone. Let me just reread this. I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. What that means is Christ has authority over every man. He has authority to govern men. And the head of a wife is her husband. He has authority to govern her. He has authority over her. And that the head of Christ is God. God the Father has authority to govern over his Son. The Son is equal to God in essence, but he is subservient to him in role and function. He receives the kingdom from his Father after he establishes all that needs to be done and refines it. In the end, he gives it back and submits again to his Father. Those are role assignments. They don't take away from a person's dignity or worth, but they involve submission and authority. Man is not any less because he submits to Christ, and Christ is not any less because he submits to his Father. Therefore, a wife is not anything less because she submits to her husband, but yet she is called to submit to her husband. This reveals that there is hierarchy in marriage and family. We see hierarchy everywhere in all the institutions. And husbands are the leaders who were called to exercise authority over their wives in the same way that Jesus exercises authority over the church. 
That point has to be held in, in view throughout this teaching. Authority is abused today. It's been abused in every generation. And when you tell people they need to submit, most people are saying you've got to be crazy because of the abuse among those who have authority. What I'm talking about is governing like Christ governs his church, exercising authority compassionately with wisdom. That's a different way of governing. And if you can keep that in view, all of us can submit. Well, I'm not submitting to my husband. Well, what do you do when your husband says, well, I'm not submitting to Christ? What do you think God's going to do if his son says, I'm not submitting to you? The whole universe crashes. Let me tell you something. If we exercise authority appropriately, those who are called to submit to us will gladly submit. So when this passage is read, I want you to keep this in your hearing. That we're to exercise authority over our wives in the same way that Jesus exercises authority over the church. Or the father exercises authority over his son with wisdom, understanding, and compassion. This is what Paul explains to the churches in the metropolis of Ephesus. Ephesians 5.25 Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. You govern, you exercise authority with love and compassion just like Christ does, that's what you're to be to your wife and your family. Find out what your wife's love language is and then learn to speak it. Provide for her. They like money. It took me a while to discover that. Their value system is different than men. Men are from Mars, women are from Venus. It's a great book. I know he was like divorced four times or whatever, but that's a lot of experience. So he, he speaks from experience, okay? But it's a fascinating book because it really lays out for us the differences psychologically, you know, in terms of value systems of how we think and how women think and what our values are and what their values are. Eh. You know, most of the time we're in trouble with our wives because we're treating them like she's one of the guys trying to relate to her as if she's one of the guys. She's like, what? That's how you get killed, right? <laughs> or they get trouble because they're trying to what? Mother us, right? I'm not your child. I don't want to be loved. I'm a king. You're my queen. Honor me before the people, right, men? Come on, give me an amen, all right. It's like men buying their, their wives a, a shotgun or a fishing pole for their birthdays. Come on, not the right move. All right. So find out what their love language is. Speak it. Provide for her. Protect her. Lead her. Lead her. Don't drive her. Okay? Lead. You drive cattle, but you lead sheep. When it comes to communication, there are three main principles to follow as a man. Listen. 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 They want you to listen. Resist the urge to fix it. 
We think when they come with the problem, they come, oh yeah, today, you can't believe what happened. Nah, nah. Yeah, we're right away, we put on our fix-it hat. We're going to fix that, because you know what? Men fix things. That's what we do on Mars. We fix things. Don't make that mistake. On Venus, they don't want things fixed. Okay? They want someone to empathize with them. That's what they want. So when your wife comes and she's telling you about a terrible day and all that happened to her, what you need to do is get it, get some kind of little watery eyes going, you know, reach over, touch her hand, say, oh gosh, that's horrible. Yeah, if you do, they'll say, man, my husband listens to me. See, we argue, we get in counseling, oh yeah, yeah, you know, the number one complaint, at least years ago, used to be, still is today, I think, I don't know, but number one complaint is, uh, he, he doesn't listen to me. The number one response is, yes, I do. I told her exactly how to fix it. <laughs> okay, well, that is listening, I guess, on Mars. You need to come to her and speak her language. They have different definitions for the same words we use. Listen doesn't mean fix it. Listen means cry with me, laugh with me, get angry with me. I want you to mimic my emotions. I want you to empathize, get in my shoes with me, right? That's what they want. If you do, kudos. They'll believe that you care about them because you listen. Listen, listen, listen. Build her up. Esteem and affirm her daily. Daily. One of the things we learned, you know, in our marriage uh, to do, because, you, you know, it's a learning curve. Oh, my gosh. Remember I said, I believe in love at first sight? You know, because I do. Doesn't mean that's true for everyone else, but it was, you know, for me, love at first sight, and I believe in that, okay? Here's another maxim that's true. Love is blind. Love is blind. It is. It is blind. It is blind. And if that's true, then marriage is the eye-opener. Okay. That's right, it is. So the adjustments after you're married are eye-openers. Now the rubber meets the road, right? And that whole, that whole uh, earlier part of the relationship, the mystique, the, you know, all the suspense and all that kind of fades away as you kind of learn to live together and work through problems and issues and so forth. So all of that becomes quite challenging. But those are the early years. As you work and work hard, like a garden that you plow, prep, plant seeds, and it takes work, the marriage will begin to produce. And it gets better and better and better. So, um, we need to learn how to build our marriages up. And there's a lot of different ways to do that. And what I'm sharing with you in this short 45 minutes is just scratching the surface have a lot of different ideas that you can explore and begin to look into to build your marriages. So it's, it's just this, you know, I'm just giving you some, some, some different high points. We learn to build each other, other up daily. We live in a world that tears you down all the time. A world that's mean and is hurtful and doesn't care. And so one of the things we need to do is safeguard each other's personhood and dignity and heart. We do that by building each other up. 
And so what I learned to do over the years, and Don's learned to do over the years, is we think up things every day to say to one another that builds us up. Not flattery, you know, things that you say that are not true. No, things that we actually value about each other. And we build each other up by speaking compliments over each other, telling each other how much we love, demonstrating our love by doing little things for each other, you know, in, in the home that day. Those little things that we do every day become big things over a period of time. It's like going out and pulling weeds on a regular basis. If you pull them on a regular basis, guess what? You don't have to pull a few. If you say, well, I'm going to do that once a month, well, that's a lot of work. That, that's, like, that's like, you know, not saying anything positive or kind for a month. Then what are you going to do? You got to spend eight hours solid with a list to make up for that 30 days, right? No, you do that every day. You tend your garden daily. You invest in each other daily. And that's what's going to make a difference in our marriage. So, men, build up your wives. Compliment them. Esteem them. Affirm them every day. You want to be treated as a king? you got to convince her she's a queen. Help her understand she's a queen and that your home is a palace. And she'll begin to treat you with the honor and the respect that every king wants. Ephesians 5.28, so husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. Guess what the glory of a man is, according to uh, Proverbs? The glory of a man is his strength. I mean, the men, we're at the gym, we're doing sit-ups, we're pumping iron, we throw things around, we gruff, we sweat, right? Because the glory of a man is his strength. Do you know what the glory of a woman is? It says the glory of a woman is her hair. You don't think so? You don't think so? Ask your wife how much money she spends every month on beauty products, right? To make her hair and everything beautiful, you know? It's just amazing. But that's kind of the way it is. And what the Bible's saying here is this, is men, if you love your bodies and you know you do, how much time do you spend on your strength, right? As a man, that masculine part of you that wants to, you know, just, just you know, God, Paul says, you love your wife equally. You spend that time and energy investing in her too. You treat her as if she's your own body. You care for her as you care for your own self. And you're going to have a solid marriage. More than likely, there's exceptions to the rule. There is a devil and a liar out there. But by and large, you'll build a solid marriage. Love your wife just like you love yourself. Don't try to fix her. Fix yourself. Oh. I've had, I think, three rounds of counseling. I think Don and I have went through over, what, 40 years. When you, when, when you get into trouble in your marriage, significant enough that you can't figure it out, you can't fix it, it's just getting worse, don't wait till it crashes and it's over. Get into your pastor. Get in there and get some counseling. I remember the first time we went and got counseling, you know. It was, it was great, too. We'd get in a little bit of trouble. We'd be arguing or whatever. And, I'd, and, if, and if I was right and she was wrong, which, you know, on a rare occasion, I would be wrong. 
Most of the time I was wrong. But on those, on those occasions where she was wrong, I'd say, I'd say, you know, if we can't resolve this, I'm going to call the pastor, you know. That straightened things up pretty quick, you know. So one time, I, you know, we had this big fight, and I said, you know what, I'm going to call the pastor. She says, good, go ahead, call him. I said, really? She goes, yeah, go call him. You know, kind of act like he was going to go over there. She goes, because when you do, I'm going to tell him what you did that preceded my action. And even though I was wrong, it was what you originally did that made me angry anyway. Yeah, I slowed up. I didn't make the call. We worked that out. Okay, but there are times that we have to go and get some counseling. And I remember our first round of counseling with our pastor. We got into counseling and I was ready. I went in loaded for bearer, man. I got my concordance out. I looked up the word women. I looked up the word wife. I looked up the word submission. I got all my list of what a wife is called to do and to be in the Bible. And I went with my list. I sat in his office with her, you know, and, and we started talking and he'd let me talk. He'd let her talk. We had this time to kind of present, you know, our issues and what was going on. So I had my list, you know. And I kept coming back to the list through this counseling session. And let me know, let, let me say, when I say, you know, sometimes you need to go to counseling, uh, that, 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 that counseling always comes in about a 12-week slot. It's not you go one time. It's a 12-week it's a, a block. We did that maybe three times in our marriage that we got in enough trouble that we needed that kind of help, right? So I'm in there, I got my list, right? Bring that list, bring it up, work that list. Did that for a while. Yeah. We came to a point in our counseling about three sessions in and uh, Don had left early. He asked me to stay because I was his favorite counselee. Now, I stayed because usually the bad person has to stay after class. So, Mark, would you stay? And Don, you, you can go today, and, but I want to talk to Mark. So. so we had a long discussion and he says, you know, young man, I want to tell you something. He says, I've been around the block quite a bit on this. You're making a classic mistake. I said, what's that? He says, you're trying to fix her. He says, quit trying to fix her. I said, what do you mean? He says, well, you got this big list. You're this expert on like what a wife should be and what she should do. You got all these verses lined up. He says, you're trying to fix her. He says, you want to fix your marriage? Because you're really driving it into the ground. He says, you want to you fix your marriage? You want to turn this around? He says, throw away the list throw it away. Don't bring it up. I don't want to hear it anymore. Get rid of it. And this next week, I want you to go home, get your concordance out, look up the word man, husband, provider. He said, I want you to go through that. And I want you to come back with a list of what it means to be a husband, what it means to provide and protect and build up. And then I'm going to go work on you and fix you so that you can have a solid marriage. I went home, God spoke to me, clarified all that. I was so broken over that. I realized, you know what? What am I doing? What am I doing? This is not about her. It's about me. If I fix myself, that's the best shot I have at winning her love and respect, which is going to heal our marriage. And that's what I did. I focused on myself. That was an amazing turnaround for us in that, in that first series of counseling. Provision. Let's move on to provision. Men are to be the primary providers or breadwinners in the home. Now, now, in general, that's true. Men are to be the primary providers or breadwinners. There's times in which a man may not be able to provide. 
You know, sometimes, you know, you lose your job. It's a tough economy. You can't get a job. Those things happen. That's not what this is talking about. What this is saying is in those times in which you are able to provide, go and provide. You be the provider. She can provide too. We'll get to that next week. But you're the primary provider. You're the one responsible for the primary provision in your marriage. And God will help you with that. Keep in mind, Adam was called to farm and protect the Garden of Eden long before Eve showed up. Genesis 2.15. Then the Lord took the man. This is before Eve came along. Then the Lord took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it, to work the land, to guard the land, to make sure the land would produce. We're all created to create. Labor is a blessing. Work is a blessing. It's what we do that provides meaning and purpose and satisfaction in our life. Ecclesiastes 5.18, here's what I've seen to be good and fitting, to eat, to drink, and to enjoy oneself in all one's labor in which he toils under the sun during the few years of his life, which, is God, which God has given to him, for this is his reward. Work should be a blessing. You should view work as a blessing. You know, on a micro, on a micro, I mow the lawn. I, I get out my little edger. I love to edge, you know, especially if my neighbors don't, you know. <laughs> I'm working on that. Okay. I mow, I do all this stuff. And when I'm done, when I'm done, I always go in and get Don. I go in there. Hey, Don. Yeah, what's going on? I, I mowed the lawn. Oh, okay. What do you mean, okay? Oh, that's good. What do you mean that's good? Don't you want to see it? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I, I bring her out. I, I make her check out what I did. I'm proud of my work. I find meaning and purpose in that. I want her to acknowledge what a good job I've done, right? And I enjoy that. After God finished his work, of creation, the scriptures say, God saw all that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. When he was finished with creation, after he taxed all of his strength, all of his wisdom, all of his resources, People, I'm telling you right now, he, he, didn't, he didn't just do that in six 24-hour days like we think of days. That would be nothing. There'd be no investment there. No, what he did took a long, long time, epochs, where he taxed, I will, I, I'd like to say, the limits of his strength and knowledge, but he has no limits, but he, 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 he's used all that he was and is in creating the entire universe. And when he was done, I want to speak 
in language we understand, even though you can't really import that into the text. But I want the people to understand. When he was done, he sat down, and it was Miller time. He sat down and he relaxed and looked at all that he did and he found satisfaction in his work. That's what we do. Men find satisfaction in what they accomplish. That's part of what it means to be a man, to be masculine, if you will. Work is a blessing. Whatever job you have, thank God for it. Be your best at it. When you're eating and drinking, do it with thanksgiving and great joy, recognizing that you're worth your labor. Have a great meal. It's Miller time. Thank God for the work he's given to you and enjoy the fruits of your labor. Provide for your family and do that with great joy, knowing that all that you do in whatever jobs you have, you're helping people around you. Adam was to observe and name all the living land animals and birds of the sky. I was going to read this text. Let's just bypass that slide. I'm running out of time. Suffice it to say, he is to be a farmer and he was to be a livestock manager, if you will. Again, labor is the blessing of God because it brings meaning and purpose into our lives. Providing for our wives, providing for our families, we count that a great joy, wives. We love doing that. I love working hard for Don. I love bringing money home for Don. I, love, that's, I like that. That's, I'm made to like that. It's part of who I am as a man. Now, the curse that comes because of their sin also reveals something about man's call to provide. We see that God said, Adam, go and do all these things. And through those things, provision came in. The curse that's pronounced over Adam also reveals some things about his calling as a man to be a provider. Genesis 3, 17 through 19. Then to Adam, he said, this is after they sinned. This is the consequence. God says to Adam, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat from it. See, Adam's sin implies that he abdicated his leadership role to protect Eve from harm. He became lazy and passive in his role assignment to govern his marriage. And in his sin, he opened the door to the misery of the curses of disobedience. And here's the curse given to Adam. And this reveals again that he's called to be the provider. It's tied up in the curse. God says, Adam, cursed is the ground because of you. In toil, you will eat from it all the days of your life what you found meaning and purpose in, the joy of working the land and seeing what it can do when it's cultivated, shaped, and worked. Now it won't produce for you. That joy won't quite be there for you. 
In fact, you're going to work hard and see little. That tells us that he's the primary provider and that this was a curse on his ability to do what God made him to do. Now it's going to be hard for him to provide for Eve. This is part of the curse that came with that disobedience. Verse 18, both thorns and thistles, it shall grow for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face, you will eat bread till you return to the ground, because from it you were taken, and you are dust, and to dust you shall return. It's going to be hard to provide, and it will be hard your entire life. It won't get easier It'll remain hard till you go to the grave. Bad news. You guys want some good news? In Messiah, the curse is reversed. In Messiah, these curses are reversed, and the blessings intended originally now come to us. So, so the best thing that men can do is to bow their knee to Jesus and receive him as their Lord and Savior and get into the blessing once again and out from underneath the curses. In Messiah, labor will become a blessing again. In Messiah, the land becomes fertile, which translates into you have opportunities now to make provision. It'll get to the place where it's a blessing now to do that. It's not hard anymore because God opens up those doors of opportunity and you land great jobs and you get promotions and God begins to bring that increase to you like you originally intended it. This is all tied into Jesus. He's the remedy for our sin that brings the curse. In all of this, what we see, though, is that men are called to be the primary providers. Now, I want to give a short note on husbands as protectors of their wives and children, okay? We're called to be protectors. We're called to defend and protect our families physically and spiritually. That's what we're called to do. The biological, you know, term that's most related to this is testosterone. It's a powerful hormone. You know, we eat like pigs, sorry. We eat like lambs. We like, you know, we, you know, men, we can eat, right? And what do we do when we eat? What do we do with all that? We convert it to muscle. We convert it to muscle mass. That's what we do as men. And testosterone is a powerful, powerful thing in terms of our biology as men. This is why we separate men and women in professional sports. That's why you have men's sports. And women's sports. You know of any NFL female linebackers? Linemen? Right? Yeah. Doesn't exist. There's a reason. It's called testosterone. This is also why we do not see women who say they are men competing in and dominating men's sports. You know, with the transgender movement, everyone's changing. Men are becoming women. When we're coming men. But you know the funny thing is? That the women who are becoming men are not jumping into men's sports to compete. 
Think about that. But the men who say they're women, they're jumping into all the, the women's sports and they're crushing the competition. Oh, Victor, Victor. Well, of course you are. You're a man. Oh my gosh. It's not complicated, really. Now I want to apologize for all the offenses that I just made. It was unintended, really. It's unintended. But, it, you know, I'm trying to get across that God made us in his image, and in his image that is binary, male and female. And we have different role assignments. We have different physiology. We're different psychologically. Let's quit trying to make us all the same. We're warriors. We are gladiators. We were made to defend and protect what God has given to us. I mean, I, I mean, it's like you almost, you, you know, what we got to do is we got to say, hey, man, we just got to chill and love people. You know, we got we to, we gotta, we, you know, you got to be that kind of person where you say, no, 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 I'm not going to fight. I want to fight. I'm looking for a fight, but I'm not going to fight until I have to fight. You know, you have to hit me three times or whatever. But finally, when you get to let go and defend your loved ones or yourself, oh, man, it is so fun. It is what I was made to do, right? So we, we're, we're kind of made and thrilled when we get a chance to defend our wives or our children. That's, that's why, and this, was, this is kind of lost because we're so confused now. But you go back to like the 50s and 60s, even 70s, you don't ever say anything derogatory about a man's wife in his presence. You never do that. Even if it's right and true, you don't do that. You, and I, I, I'm thinking, you know what? We need to get back to that. Men, we need to protect the dignity of our wives, their names, their feelings. That's who we are. We're also responsible to protect them from spiritual dangers, spiritual dangers. A lot of lies out there, a lot of deception, a lot of confusion, a lot of seductions out there. Husbands, lead your wife and family straight into a relationship with Jesus, the Messiah, and then lead them directly into a local Bible-believing church. I cannot stress this enough. Run with the pack. There's safety in the pack. If you think you're going to go have your own family, your own marriage, and do it all on your own, you have nothing to learn from any other brothers in the Lord or spiritual leaders, man, you're setting your family up for a lot of temptation, unnecessary dangers. Get in the pack. Get in a church. Show them by example how to submit to godly spiritual leadership. My wife won't submit to me. Well, show her how to submit to your own leaders and she'll be more apt to submit to you. Sometimes they don't want to submit to us because we won't submit to a local church. We won't submit to elders. We're all called to submit. Everyone's submitting to someone. Jesus submits to his father. We're all in authority and under authority. Lead your wives, lead your children, get involved in a church. This is the best plan for spiritual protection that God has given to his people. My dad, I, I just want to share this in closing. Man. 
This is going to be part two next week because I'm, I'm out of time. So I'll, I'll come back to this next week. We're going to focus on um, making sure we're plugged into a church because I think it's important to spend some time on that and why that's so important. And that way I won't be in trouble with Lori, our children's director. So, Father, we thank you and uh, we just bless you. And I bless the men in this place. Men, stand up. I want the men to stand up. I want boys and men to stand up. Yeah. Father, we bless our men. We are thankful for our men. We bless their masculinity. We bless who you made them to be. We bless them in their provision. We ask for opportunities to be given to each and every one of them. We ask that you just encourage them, embolden them, and raise them up and cause them to be all that you've called them to be. Your sons, your warriors, your providers. And I pray that you'll watch over them and give them everything they need to know who they are in you, that you love them, that they're important to you, that you have a plan for their lives, that regardless of the many mistakes that we make as men, your mercies are new every morning. And in you, we have new beginnings. So we thank you. We bless our men in the mighty name of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen.